Sponsored by the Dunleary Ratdown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye with Joe Dalton and Simon Haig. And good afternoon. It's one o'clock. It's Friday. It's a sunny afternoon. Uh, and again, it's Business Eye on Dublin 93.9, Dublin South FM, uh, sponsored by Dun- Dunleary Rathdown uh, Local Enterprise Office, hashtag making it happen. I'm looking at Joe, right? I think he's lying on a sofa eating chocolate. I think he's just given up. But uh, the great news is I have a, a second, a new co-host today, um, and it's great to see you, and by the name of Radina Nedjelkova. Well done, Simon. Thank Welcome. you. And it's, we met a couple of months ago, and uh, we'll have a chat a little about, about you in a, in a little while, because uh, you've got a really interesting background, and it's great to have you here, and uh, it's great to see Joe out there and not sitting next to me for a change. And uh, we have three guests today, three really interesting guests. First up, we have Helena Tuberty. Welcome, Helena. Thank you. Lovely to be here, Simon. And it's great to see you. And we spoke and we met about a month ago and we had a really interesting chat. And we'll, you can describe your work, which is fascinating, in a second. So it's, welcome, welcome. And we have two brothers. Uh, we have the sensible, sensible brother. The elder brother, I think, is Connor, Connor McCarthy. That's right. Welcome. And the younger brother is James McCarthy. And you're from Flipdish. Yes, that's right. Welcome. Nice to be here. So uh, we've got a busy, busy, busy studio. So what do you think, Radina? How, how does it feel to do your first co-host? Absolutely exciting and no better uh, host than you and Joe. <laughs> yeah, Joe's watching us. Don't worry. He's laughing at both of us. So um, anyway, so uh, great to have you here. Thank so, you. So Helena, right? So you've got a really interesting background. Fertility coach or expert or... Well, I am a fertility coach and therapist coming therapist. from a, coming from a midwifery background That's and right. psychotherapy, hypnotherapy. So it really is an amalgamation of all my skills and talents yeah. in helping people prepare for pregnancy to yeah. overcome any fertility issues and to maximize even actually double their odds of conceiving success with IVF. So I I work everything I do is research based. I am adamant about that. Yeah. I mean, I do a physical therapy of reflexology, which is well recognized at this stage. So I am bringing to couples, and it's usually, I must say, the women who come first. About 80% of my clients are women. Is that because men are shy about this stuff? Or? Men, exactly. They're not as inclined to even believe that they might need emotional support or help with mental yeah, health yeah. issues. And certainly they are in the support role, which is all you have to do if you're doing IVF is go into a little room. Men are generally managing the finances. How long can we keep going? How much more do we pay with our add-ons? When do we stop? And trying to support their dearly beloved who's going through a huge amount and, you know, keeping the show going. Yeah, so yeah. guys kind of feel they don't have the validity of their feelings being heard or yeah, discussed. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure you guys will have noticed as well that, you know, you could know people for years and not know if they've got kids or grannies or anything that, you know, you will have a professional relationship or it'll be down the pub, it'll be discussing rugby or football. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. certainly um, when I began mm, 30 years ago or so, I never imagined I'd still be doing it still or doing it. be busier than ever. I presume that once people knew how to get their fertility ducks in a row, what they should be doing more of, less of, you know, reorganizing. I really imagined that I would be 
doing something completely different. And yeah. as it is now, and it's particularly with Skype, which is good when this coronavirus yeah. weather that, you know, people can give a little time in the evening at home in their jammies and uh, get the work done rather quickly instead of having to travel. It's a massive area. I mean, you know, it's such an... So how much of, how much of your work is around mindset and mindset re-scoping and recalibrating? How much of your work is around that 99.999 repeating. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. that feeds into the stress, the anxiety, the yeah. overwhelm. Yeah, yeah. Um, the sense, actually, of restoring confidence and hope and yeah. preparing people to go in with a winning mindset, literally. Yeah, yeah. Taking control back, feeling less... Uh, that they are being processed, that they are the old-fashioned patient, yeah. uh, being you know having the vocabulary, understanding the lingo, knowing the questions to ask, how to collaborate with a clinic, how to choose a clinic, yeah. what's the best clinic for you if you're doing IVF, yeah. and of course my absolute joy is my anecdotal babies whose parents have been planning IVF and never quite made it because they got pregnant beforehand, yeah. and that's ideal. Huge area. We might just move from delivering babies to delivering food. <laughs> so Flipdish, uh, Connor and, and James, to just give us a bit of an overview as to what Flipdish is and and, and how it operates. Um, sure. So I think to understand what we do, it's good to understand where we came from. And we came from a very different place. And we, our initial idea was quite different to what we're doing now. Um, so our initial plan was to create a food marketplace, a, a single app where you could order from any of the local takeaways and you just be able to pull your phone out, pick a local restaurant and yep. choose your food and get it delivered. And we wanted to build that because we were really frustrated with the user experience doing this with the major marketplaces um, five years ago. Yep. Um, like back at the time, you the, the best that was out there, the apps you needed to enter your credit card number for every single order yeah. because they didn't store it, they didn't remember it for you. Then they sent you through 3D Secure um, for a 11 year order, which is just painful. Yeah. Um, you had to type in your postal address on your mobile phone because they didn't use geolocation. Yep. And um, if you forgot your password, you had to type in your email address and go to your email and do this whole reset. It was just really painful, and uh, I just knew things could be done better. Yeah. So we were set about designing an app uh, that we would like to use ourselves and got rid of all of those barriers, made it really user-friendly. How did you... So when you said designing an app, I often hear, and they're always younger than me because I'm getting probably the oldest in the room, or pretty much, and how do you start when you design an app? So for <laughs> us, I downloaded an app called Blueprint on an iPad, and that lets you move buttons around on the screen and make a mock-up so you could... Um, kind of designed the layout and a flow of the app and um, started thinking about what I would, how I thought the easiest way from opening the app to getting food placed. Yeah. Um, I tried to think of the easiest flow. Um, so we thought about things like, should we put the map first on the screen or show the menu first? Okay. I realized that if you have the map, then you know where the, obviously you know where the person is. So you can tell them what the delivery cost will be because you know the delivery zones. Yeah. Um, you know which, or, uh, which store to route the order to based on all the multiple stores, delivery zones, things like that. Um, so we went through loads of iterations and then like showed each other it and yeah. came out with an app that was massively easier to use. You could new people could come along and register an order in less than twenty seconds versus more than two minutes with the like the biggest um, chains uh, their apps and the biggest yeah. marketplaces. So we then we thought this is amazing. We went and built the technology and then started talking to restaurants to sign them up to it. 
and they educated us to loads of problems that I as a consumer didn't know anything about. Um, they told us that they loved our technology, but they really did not want another marketplace. They said that these marketplaces could come to them and said they would bring them new customers. But in reality, they came with no customers at all and siphoned away the restaurant's customers and then sold them back to the restaurants. Uh, yeah, so the, the restaurants told us that they felt they were sending their customers to a place that had all of their competitors listed. Yeah. And they were losing their customers because of it. And they said what they would really like if, if we could repurpose our technology and give them their own branded website and app so they could receive orders directly. They could have their logo on their customers' phones. Uh, they could uh, send push notifications to their customers, have their okay. own loyalty schemes, their own discount codes, all of that. Yeah. Um, so you provide them stuff. sufficient assurance that it, would, that it just wasn't unnecessary duplication, that you were actually helping them? Absolutely, yeah. So, Absolutely. Ba- I mean, back then, it was the marketplaces were a, a reasonable size problem for the restaurants. They were, they were controlling the customers and the order flow. In the last five years, things have changed uh, a lot, uh, making direct ordering much more uh, yeah. important to these smaller businesses. So it's all about, and I'll bring Radina here, So, because you probably understood that a lot more than me because you're very much into the tech and customer service. What, what did you think about what Connor was talking about? No, that's pretty fascinating. And you mentioned that there were several iterations of the app itself. So we know that it's it's still a struggle for a lot of these companies and people even to use all of these applications. So how do you keep the engagement? How do you keep the momentum? On um, the momentum of updating the apps or getting people engaged with them? Yeah, exactly, to keep people engaged. Um, well, it's interesting. The way we price our service is a percentage of orders that go through, and that keeps us massively incentivized and aligned with the restaurants. Um, it's really important for us that it's really easy for customers to place an order uh, because for us it makes a big difference if um, there's a 70% conversion rate between opening the app and placing the order versus 80%. That directly affects us, and because of the way... Um, we price it, we have a very um, close focus on the usability of the app. We're always mm-hmm. measuring like what the conversion rate is, what the fall-offs are, and improving um, the service because of that. And I think that stems from our pricing model. What about the current environment with this dreaded COVID-19? How, how Has that already impacted your business? Or are you building that into your projections? Or how is that all panning out for you? Um, it's impacted in a small way. Um, so we would have a couple of staff who decide to work from home, um, which is fine. Um, gives us a really easy way for us to test the waters with working from home, which is a hot topic at the moment. Um, we get hardware from China and the supply chain has been impacted, so things can be delayed there. Um, but there's no a huge impact at the moment. But, yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't know where things are going to go in Dublin and Ireland and across Europe. Helena, uh, it, the effect of stress and and that chatter in the market. You know, I, I've just come back from a most relaxing week's holiday I've probably ever had, and and everybody seems stressed out. It, is that one of the biggest factors in or fa- inputs into infertility, or, or describe some of the factors for infertility? That's a little bit of a myth. You know, just okay. relax and you'll get pregnant. I think that actually is the biggest causation of stress you want to hit somebody over the head you know just relax and it'll be fine there are many mechanical issues there can be blockages STIs from teenage years are a major cause of blockages of fallopian tubes so you're talking about the mechanical the plumbing issues for both men 
and women. Without building up the ego of the two guys here, what about the testosterone and the, yes. and the moment, and without you, getting too graphic? <laughs> well, you certainly need, uh, you know, the hormone assay to be right. You need the right hormones stimulating the right areas at the right time for maximum receptivity for an actual mm. conception to happen. You need a menstrual cycle to be going on. You need to have eggs being matured. And, of course, you need your 71-day turnaround of great sperm being produced with really good quality food. And, you know, the sense of sleep and exercise, all the Goldilocks things that need to be in place. So stress is one area and infertility brings the same amount of stress as, uh, you know, uh, a diagnosis of cancer or HIV. It is extraordinarily stressful to navigate because you're doing daily life. You're going, you cannot get away from birthday parties, pregnancy announcements, gender reveals, you know, just family life. And we, of course, are a very pronatalist society. And it's like the first question that most women will normally ask is the head tilt, do you have kids? And it's kind of like, oh, well, are you trying? Being there. It's really intrusive, isn't it, Radina? Radina, we, we had this chat. You've been there. Yes, yes. And I'm still feeling it now when I'm in my 30s even more. And you mentioned earlier that stress regime, all this have impact on both partners, on the the female and the male. So uh, on another hand, the males are not the ones that will make the first step. So what would be your tip to engage our partners more in that? That is such a really good point, Redina. I think and particularly in this country, um, I think, you know, we can blame Picasso and, uh, you know, Rod Stewart, you know, having babies into their 90s. Um, the sense that in this country, guys really have um, get out of jail card. It's like they believe they are potent for life and they're very, very slow to commit to a relationship. And many women I find in my practice, you know, will tell tales of their friends, siblings holding on in a relationship, hoping that the question will be popped and not wanting to seem needy. Guys forget that from the age of 35, same as women, their fertility may not actually be falling off the cliff, but it is tumbling down. And the risk uh, for miscarriage, for preterm labor, for high blood pressure during labor, for autism spectrum disorders in their child, for heart defects in their child, going right forward for the next 40 years, is a major issue with guys not realizing that they are 50% 50% of that equation. Now um, I know why Joe's not in here today and eating chocolate somewhere else. He's opted out. Uh, so, yeah, in terms, in terms of your business, guys, so what are the biggest challenges you've, you, you've faced? So how old is your business again? And what are the biggest challenges you faced during the, the, you know, the, the early stages of the business? <clears throat> so our business is five years old, uh, just over five years. We started in January 2015. Um, so what are the biggest challenges at the moment? Mm-hmm. I think the biggest challenge at the moment is trying to hire people. It's difficult to hire people, especially if you're just looking in Dublin area. Um, so that's why we've tried to embrace remote working. So we're kind of expanding the net a little bit. Um, we're also opening offices across Europe and in North America. So we recently opened an office in New York. We're opening an office in London, we have an office in Barcelona, uh, Berlin, and potentially Paris. Um, so, yeah, I would say the the hardest thing at the moment is finding really good people uh, yeah. to come and. Uh, yeah, Radina, you, you you know you know you know more again more about the recruitment industry than I do. I mean, 
how how are you seeing it unfolding? And, and you're doing some work in this space as well. That's exactly what I was thinking as well, Simon. And recruitment is a hot topic for all companies, not only startups. So you mentioned the international expansion and remote, embracing remote, which is another hot topic. Um, what is your approach? I mean, how do you look for people? Um, do, you, uh, retract, do you attract referrals or do you have any other strategy to get the right people in? Yes, so... We do all of those things. So we have a referral program within the company. So if people refer someone and they stay for a certain amount of time, they'll get a certain amount of money, um, which is great. And we also we do a lot of headhunting for people. Like some roles are much easier to find and some roles are very, very attractive at Flipdish, especially the stage we're at where we're kind of just... Um, uh, we're doing quite well, like we're growing very fast and that's attractive to a lot of people in certain stages in their career. And um, there are other roles that are more difficult, but there just aren't uh, enough people kind of doing that job in, in Ireland. Um, so trying to find those people elsewhere, um, it's tricky. Um, what we're doing at the moment is we're doing kind of practical things like setting up rooms where we have cameras and... Um, it makes it easier to have meetings with people across the world. Um, what, what's it like, two brothers working together? I know this is a really trite question, but I've never worked... My, what's it like? Uh, well, it seems really normal <laughs> Don't say this one, Connor. <laughs> um, you probably get two very different answers. Uh, well, that seems really normal. James sits on the far side of the office, so it's not like we're uh, right at each other's table all day, every day. Um, and there's a lot of work to do. I mean... And, you're talking about hiring. We went from 20 to over 100 people in the last 14 months. Wow. So, um, like, we're busy doing what we're doing, so we're not always interacting day to day. Yeah. Um, but what we do is always positive. Um, it's working really well. We know each other uh, really well. And, yeah. yeah, it's going it's going well. How do you strategize? I mean, do you have a constantly evolving strategy, or is it emerging strategy, or how, how are you strategizing? Um, I think thinking about it 24 hours a day helps. <laughs> um, so we think about... Um, yeah, like we, we we always are talking to each other about what's going on, what we think we should be doing differently, yeah. um, bringing other people in the company, asking them their um, their thoughts on how things should go, um, and iterating on our plans and what we're doing. Yeah, you both mentioned the challenges, some of the challenges of working in Ireland. I'll flip that over to to, to Helena. So, in terms of, we had this chat about some of the historic and prejudices and the challenges in the in Ireland. Do you want to expand on that in terms of the work you do, in terms of how the institutions regard the work you do and how the institutions have coped with this whole area of infertility? Do you want to talk about that or is that something that you really don't want to get into? I think um, if you are meaning what I think you're meaning, and I'm not sure yet, you, um, you do you mean about the religious aspect of IVF not being approved or is it that type of I thing? Guess, I guess that and also in terms of just general perceptions in the market compared to other markets in terms of the work you do. Oh, I would imagine um, at this moment something that I notice is people regarding IVF as the silver bullet going straight for it instead of recognising it as a really useful way of obviating a condition. It doesn't actually treat it. Uh, it's a wonderful way. It's a series of medical, um, you know, uh, treatments and to be prepared for it. That, you know, it's like going into a marathon. You need to be prepared. You need the right mindset. You need to be physically in good shape to get the most out of it. Yeah. So that is something that I think re-educating people on that. 
Yeah. What about the whole well-being and diet and exercise and mindfulness That's and all that stuff? The bread and butter of what I do. Now, yeah. most people, in fairness, are really switched on, women particularly. Their partners, you know, the sense of you ask them, you know, what exercise do you like? Oh, football. And it's like, oh, right. Watching. Well, it's about five years since I trained. And it's yeah. kind of, you know what, or else they're on bikes. They're wrapped up in like are really cool out on the roads causing grief to perfectly good motorists like me. And, of course, the overheating angle. I was waiting to get a comment there, but I didn't. Um, but, yeah, the, the sense of literally, um, you know, it's really not good to raise testicular temperature. Um, and the sense that, you know, getting exercise is good, but, you know, having cop on in doing it properly. Yeah. And, again, the Goldilocks thing. Yeah. So it's about life balance. And I think one of the things that, you know, for a very busy younger generation, an incredibly driven younger generation, who's working longer and harder than ever, is the sleep deprivation. It's massive. Yeah. Really what, what, about, what about the whole area of sperm count? I mean, is that's is, dropping it, across the world compared why, why to our? Is that? Why is that? Well, when you think of it, here we are sitting in a very hot studio on uh, plastic chairs, wearing um, you know the kind of clothing we're wearing, which is probably um, man-made. Uh, you know, traditionally, for most of human beings' existence, it would have been outside, out on farms, outdoors, wearing very loose clothing. It wasn't kind of tight whiteies back in those days. So, you know, the sense of um, the exercise levels, the sleep levels, the lifestyles have changed hugely. And, you know, we need to be cognizant of that. Yeah. What about the whole area of women taking contraceptives? And is that is that changing the whole dynamics as well? It does. It, again, it gives guys a get-out-of-jail card. It's like the pendulum has flipped from, you know, the traditional Roman Catholic thing in this country where there's no sex before marriage and, you know, oh, yeah, and certainly no children. Um, this, the pill gave an incredible freedom. Um, but the flip side of that is that, you know, people are getting their careers in line. They are settling down. They're having a lifestyle before children arrive. So that is a difficulty as well to be aware of. So, again, it's a Goldilocks thing. Yeah. We're going to take a break in in about one minute one minute or so. Radina, did you want to say something quickly there? Yeah, I actually was wondering, uh, a lot of the tech companies are now offering to women to freeze their eggs as part of their benefits. Yes, and I was wondering, a, what do you think about it? It's a wonderful idea to keep women in your workforce to recruit them. The flip side, maybe you will get 10% that will survive a thaw and you have to have IVF. Now, 75, 78% of IVF fails. You get, there's a very, very low success rate. There's a very high miscarriage rate. So when a clinic says brightly, oh, we have a pregnancy rate of X, you want to know what's your live birth rate. So if you freeze your eggs, uh, you have no guarantee. It is, you know, the sense of false security at this mm. stage. I'm sure it will improve, but at this time, it is a very, very uncertain carrot to be dangling in front of women. We're going to have to take a break in a second. Radina, I think you need to head off shortly, or do you, do you want to stay around for the next little bit? It's up to you. I mean, Helena. That's fine, Simon. Thank you so much. Yes, indeed. I have a very busy afternoon, okay. so um, I will thank you so much for having me aboard. So how do people contact you? I'm helenatoverdy.com, and you get me through my website quite handily. Perfect. Thanks very much. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back after the break. Your community radio for South Dublin. This is Dublin South FM. You're listening to Business Eye, sponsored by your local enterprise office in Dunleary Ratdown. Together, we're making it happen. 
And welcome back to Business Eye with Simon and me, Radina. So we still have in the room the two brothers from Flip Dish, Connor and James. Guys, would you like to tell us a bit more about your future plan? What excites you? What's up for you? Sure. So I think what we've learned over the last few years is that the, the restaurants that we deal with really are benefiting from having access to technology. Uh, so what we saw recently, um, we saw McDonald's put kiosks into thousands of their restaurants and they're working really well for both the restaurants and the consumers. Um, for the consumer side, they prefer ordering from kiosks. There's no time pressure when they're talking to the staff member and they get to see lovely images of what they're um, ordering, especially if you're a non-native. You get this, you don't have to learn the language. You can see pictures of the food, which is great. Um, and... Um, we see that although giant companies like McDonald's can create, go and get the team of developers and source hardware and do this themselves, all of the smaller and medium-sized restaurants aren't um, able to do that themselves. But we know they would really benefit from it. So we've um, created a self-service kiosk solution where off the shelf they can get set up and running at a really um, like with a really low barrier to entry, a low um, cost, and. So that's one new thing that we're bringing out to restaurants, um, and we think that it will really help their businesses. Um, yeah, I think that it's very unlikely in the next 10 years that there won't be kiosks in every single Starbucks, Costa Coffee, like across the world. And it's very encouraging what we've seen so far, that we have kiosks in probably 40 locations across Ireland and the UK, and the average order sizes are higher, People are gravitating towards them. Um, it depends kind of where you put them in the shop, but it seems like people prefer using them than going up and talking to um, the, the cashier. And that frees the people up within the store to do other things. Um, so, yeah, very encouraging so far. So you're both... Am I right in saying you both have both have techie backgrounds? I know Connor does. Do, do you, James? Um, no, I don't. I was an architect. So I right. studied architecture in DIT. So you bring the more creative side to the business? Or? <laughs> no, I wouldn't say so. <laughs> um, I do sales, uh, essentially. Okay. So so when you... So I'm talking more to Connor here. So I, I know you've been involved in a few other tech companies. Why did you choose this particular industry for your next venture? That's the first question. And the second question is, if you had your time again and you started this business five again now, mm -hmm. would you have done anything differently? So the first question is, why this particular industry? Because there's loads of tech industries. Yep. And then what would you have done differently? Um, so why this industry? I think, so I remember the first time I thought about online ordering for food was way back in 2007. I was doing a post-software um, development master's. And we had to do this two-week uh, project where you'd create a website and the customer would enter some data or the person would enter some data, be stored in a database and then shown back to them. And I thought, oh, maybe I could make a way to order food online for a restaurant. Then I Googled it and I saw it was already done. Um, so I was like, okay, um, it's already done. It's not new. And also it's a bit difficult for a two-week project for someone just learning how to write code. So I did something different. But then seven years later, it seemed that the things hadn't progressed much at all. It was still <laughs> not an amazing user experience um, seven years later. So... I had been thinking about it for a while and I was just frustrated as a consumer ordering food. It was it just really bothered me. <laughs> it was so difficult whereas so many there are so many other apps that were amazing and easy to use. Um so I just really wanted to solve a problem for myself. And also we had seen um that in loads of other industries there'd been a massive shift from offline to online. 
I mean, back in 2014, nobody phoned up their airline to book a flight anymore, whereas they did when I was younger. That was normal. And it was becoming the case where no one would phone a taxi company to order a taxi um, back in 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. And it was this shift had happened in so many industries and it hadn't yet happened for restaurants but it was blindingly obvious that everyone is soon going to order their food through a, an app or a website um, so we knew that there was a, a, a demand there mm. and it was frustrating me that it was taking so long for the tech companies to get around to um, to, to um, jump in yeah, to, to jump in what yeah. about doing things differently if you'd started this today knowing what you've known over the last five years what would you have done differently so Personally, I would have um, gone and spoken to the restaurants, our potential customers, a little earlier instead of building the whole um, yeah, yeah. marketplace and then pivoting a year later. Uh, we would have been a year ahead then had we done that. Okay. Uh, that's what I would have done differently. What about you, James? Um, would you have worked with your brother? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> and there's no issues uh, working. I think it's we have a good working relationship. Um, what and a general relationship. Uh, yes, as well. <laughs> it gives us something to talk about, you know. Outside yeah. of uh, work, um, what would we have done differently? Um, I don't know. If there's much we would have done differently. We we're kind of there's only so much we could do with the money that we had at the time. Um, we, I suppose, there are some lessons we could have learned from how we fundraised and how we presented the company yeah. and um, our vision. And there's some people that we should have hired that um, we didn't, uh, and vice versa. Um, yeah, I can't think of that's always yeah. the case, right? Yeah. Um, some people are yeah. just regrettable, and others are not. Uh, you mentioned earlier the example with McDonald's and the kiosks. Um, what are your ideal clients? <clears throat> yeah, so our ideal clients would be a restaurant chain from maybe ten locations all the way up to two hundred locations. Um, we're very well positioned to help restaurants expand internationally. Because um, we have probably twenty over twenty different nationalities within the company already, out of a hundred people, um, well over twenty different languages. The product is localized in lots of uh, countries across the world. So, so, how many people are using the app now, and what are your projections say for the next year or two? So, it's important to realize that we we don't just have like one app. Uh, we create apps for each restaurant or each restaurant chain. So yeah. each one of our customers would have their own app for iOS, Android, their web ordering app, and so on. Okay, so what about, so the availability is on iTunes and Google as well? and uh, Yes, so for example, um, one of our customers here in Ireland, uh, Bombay Pantry, um, they have maybe uh, 10 locations. They would have a Bombay Pantry app in the iOS uh in the App Store, in the Google Play Store, mm. they'd have their BombayPantry.com website, okay. and the online ordering on all three will be powered by Flipdish. Do you and see spikes at lunchtime? People sitting at their desk ordering food, or do you, are there particular busiest times of the yeah, day you're monitoring? Definitely, yeah. So um, lunchtime there's a definite peak, and then at like Friday evening, that's yeah. when it <laughs> uh, blows up. So yeah, there's way more orders then. Um, Val but, uh, Valentine's Day was pretty big. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What about the quietest times in the week? Would that be Sunday afternoon or Tuesday? Tuesday. Yeah. People are being healthy on Tuesday. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it it really depends on what the restaurant type is. So if it's your average kind of takeaway, then I think Tuesday would be there. I think they're still, uh, you know, they're still in weekend mode on a Monday. 
Um, mm. But then Tuesday, they're like in the middle of the week. Okay. They're trying to you trying know, to catch up with themselves. They're trying to be good. And then as it goes towards the weekend, it just more and more orders. And then for like the healthy lunchtime um, places, it's the total opposite. Yeah. Like, Are you measuring any other trends except of obviously when people order food? Are there anything else that you derive in terms of data for the for your customers? Um. Yep. Yeah, so our customers get to own all their data. They get to see all their customer information, like wh what their customers are ordering, um, where they were on the planet when they ordered. So there's a huge amount of data that our customers get to see on their own kind of their own businesses, and they can make their business decisions based on that. In terms of trends that we're seeing, um, there are different cuisine types that are popping up that I've never heard of before. Like poke sure. is getting quite big. Oh, really? So tell us about poke. What's poke? <laughs> Uh, haven't you tried it, Simon? <laughs> no, I haven't. I think it uh, came from Hawaii. And okay. I, I don't think I've ever had it. I think I've maybe tasted it once from one of the guys in the office. Radina, what is, is poke? It's like tuna and rice. Yeah, it's like raw fish. So it's uh, kind it's like of like a, a, sushi, like a sushi, but in a bowl. Okay. Yeah, that's a good description. Okay. Tasty. Nice. Nice. We're going to go to the break in a second, but when we come back, what I'd like to talk about is, um, in, a, in a minute or so, what I'd like to talk about is competition out there and any threats you see to the, to the business and to the industry generally and where you just see the whole thing going. So um, I think we'll take a short break uh, and we'll come back uh, right after this, this, this break. Broadcasting to South Dublin on 93.9. This is Dublin South FM. You're listening to Business Eye, sponsored by your local enterprise office in Dunleary Ratdown. Together, we're making it happen. Welcome back. We're talking to the two brothers from uh, Flipdish. Uh, what I'd like to talk about now is the market generally and threats you see in the market. Yep. So one of the big ones at the moment, and it's been talked about a lot in the press, is the marketplaces and how they are really competing with their own quote-unquote uh, partners, their customers, the restaurants. So originally they were just providing the online ordering system and they, like Connor mentioned earlier, they siphoned away lots of the restaurants' customers onto their own platform. They're now competing with the restaurants for the on the driver's side. Um, so they're providing the, the drivers. They're also competing with them for real estate. They're buying up... Uh, cloud dark kitchens mm. and they're now creating brands their own brands okay. and they can you know put these brands at the top of the app they can promote these brands to all the customers that they've essentially taken from the restaurants okay. so where does the restaurant sit in all of this um, is a big question that restaurants should be thinking about and if they don't think about it where could this lead to that's interesting where could that what's the worst case scenario well I think that Lots of restaurants are kind of dipping their toe into delivery, you know, with you know these uh, mm. marketplaces, and they're becoming more reliant on delivery. And delivery is just increasing, generally. Mm. And I think it's only going one way. It's going to delivery is going to become more and more popular. Mm. So I think that there's going to be centralized kitchens in all cities, and they're going to be controlled by large companies, probably 
for the most part by marketplaces. What about the whole area of hygiene? Because when I go back to the UK, every restaurant in the UK has to have a hygiene rating. I think it's one to five. And they have to renew that every year, which I think is a great idea. You don't have that in, in Ireland. Should Ireland have something like that? Or do, do you think that would improve your business or, or detract from your business? Or what do you think about the hygiene rating they have in the UK? Had you even thought about it? Well, I'm not um, familiar with the difference between the hygiene ratings, but yeah. definitely I think there should be a hygiene regulation. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm pretty sure that restaurants in Ireland will get shut down if they're not doing things properly. Um, yeah. You see every yeah. now and again uh, restaurants shut down because they hadn't been meeting uh, the requirements. But from a, the difference in the UK is from a consumer perspective before, like if I walk down a high street, I can actually see the numbers outside okay. the restaurant. So you can choose and so... If you see a one or two, you avoid the restaurant. I did this recently. You just avoid it. Mm. That would be a great idea, wouldn't it? I suppose in some ways. but in, You might think that restaurants, if they're not being hygienic, shouldn't be there. Um, and instead of having this gradient rating where you, as a consumer, has to make another decision, should I go to the restaurant with a two-star rating? Mm. Is it going to kill me or is it going to be grand? I mean, it would be nice if we could just know the restaurants aren't going to kill you and they're yeah. amazingly clean. So you're putting healthy. your faith in the system regulated behind the scenes anyway. It should be doing that anyway. Yeah, I, like, I personally don't see the need for this gradient system because it's another yeah, yeah. decision the consumer has to make. It's more bureaucracy. It well. would be nice. Um, to just know if the restaurant is there, it's good and healthy and it's past regulations. Yeah. One thing we haven't talked about is pricing, right? And how you how do you price, without going into confidential business, how do you price your business, your business model? So we, um, as I alluded to earlier, um, the, the way we price, I think, is um, critical to us flippers doing well. Uh, so we charge a transactionally. So the more orders one of our restaurants receive, the more fees we take. And this means that we're very um, incentivized and aligned with the restaurants to make them succeed and do really well online. Okay. Because if they don't, if they sign up with Flipdish and don't receive orders, then we don't make any money at all, um, which nobody wants. Um, it's not good for the restaurants. They've gone to all this effort and it's not good for us. So that means that when we sign up a restaurant, we do everything we can to make them succeed online. We have a a larger than usual success team in Flipdish yeah. and we have that because we are putting a lot of effort into helping these restaurants succeed online making sure that their website um, is working really well and directing people to online ordering when they're looking for it uh, so as, for example a couple of weeks ago we had a client they have their own website with our web ordering um, built into it and their SSL certificate expired yeah and we, their app orders were going through as normal because they were separate to the website, but we saw their web orders uh, plummet. And because of our, our pricing model, we were on the phone to them straight away saying, hey, you need to get your webmaster to look at your website because it's not working properly. And obviously that's great for the restaurants. They were losing out on business. And um, because, yeah, because of the way we price our um, service, we're... Uh, have that incentive. Yeah. And we're much more cost effective than the marketplaces. That's okay. for sure. Okay. What, so what about in, inside the business? I know, Rodina, you wanted to talk, to, given that your, your expertise in recruitment and that whole employee benefit space, you had a couple of questions you want to ask. You're burning to ask the guys. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we touched on earlier the fact that you are hiring and that you've seen some challenges before, previously in, in your recruitment process. So tell us a bit more about the benefits. I'm sure that there are potential employees there listening to what you're saying. And it seems like quite appealing to work with Flipdish. But tell us more about what, what you provide to your employees. 
Sure. Yeah. Um, so one of the big things that we can offer is equity in the business. So all our employees have shares. And um, yeah, that's really attractive um, because we do plan to grow very quickly. And getting in at this stage is, yeah, you're going to have the shares. Are they and shares or options or a combination of both? There's, they're options for shares. Okay. They're options, yeah. Which I think, from my experience working for the big multinationals, is always a great motivator, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so there are people who are in, like, in the first kind of 10 employees, and they have, you know, lots and lots of shares. Um, but, yeah, um, we, we're giving them out to, to um, all employees. So that's a, that's a huge um, uh, pull factor, I think. Mm. Mm. Okay. Is is there anything else in terms of let's say perks or benefits? Something that you promote so that you attract the the best people possible? Um, I think like the culture is really good, and we have like a strong mission. We we all know what we're trying to do, and we all believe in what we're trying to do. So, like it's very hard work, and like we expect a lot from from the team, um, and they in turn expect a lot from us. But um, I think it's. Like when you go through a hardship together, you're kind of stronger together. You're kind of bonded, um, yeah. yeah. Um, Work yeah. hard, play hard, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> More or less. <laughs> Shh, don't say too much. <laughs> you mentioned before the international side of things. Just remind us, so, so your international expansion, I mean, how ambitious do you feel that is at this point? And just remind us where, what you're looking at in terms of internationally and why and how. So... Well, why is because there's more than half a million um, restaurants across Europe, uh, or across Europe alone, and they they're all going to need this type of solution if they're going to survive over the next five or ten years. Mm. If they don't start receiving orders uh, digitally directly, then, like James said, they're going to be handing their customers away to the marketplaces. So mm. they all need this solution, and we want to reach as many of them as possible. Mm. Um, so we've started doing that by heart. Um, putting people on the ground in um, so in London or in the UK um, Spain France Germany and also uh, we're dipping our toe into the US with a mm. team in New York um, so yeah we're trying trying to help um, restaurants not just in Ireland Wow okay in terms of so we had Helena in before the break talking more about mindfulness and minding yourself and how do you guys because obviously you're in that early stage but that frantic growth stage of a business how do you mind yourselves how do you look after yourselves um i put on like three stones since we started the company so probably not very well um yeah it's interesting well people say that you know you need work-life balance but i'm not i haven't come to a decision on it yet because i don't think that olympic athletes have work-life balance really you know they're training most of the time and they're just totally focused on one thing what they do have right so you're right to an extent so what they have is this mindset a growth mindset right so Mm -hmm. you know baseball players people like Kobe Bryant right basketball player Mm -hmm. even at the top of his game he was still practicing five or six hours a day so a baseball player does this practices but the baseball swing hundreds of times a day even if they're the world's best Mm -hmm. so you've got to maintain that mindset for growth which is what you're talking about but if you don't also balance that it's like a a seesaw with mindfulness minding yourself whether it's meditation health exercise um, focusing on you rather than being controlled by your brain all the time Mm. I think eventually definitely you're going to come out of balance is that is that something that you would see coming into your business for your for your for your, for your, for your staff? I, I would recommend it. Is that something you're looking at, or is it too early to be looking at that in too much detail? As you grow, you should be definitely. 
Okay, well, it sounds like we should be. Yeah. Um, it's w- not. We've actually talked about it. So we had our first kind of offsite retreat with kind of senior managers, and we talked about lots of things like this, um, like gym memberships. Like we have so many gyms in Sandyford, the CrossFit mm, yeah, gyms, yeah. yoga gyms. We're taking another level in our office, and we're talking about putting in like a yoga room there. Um, we also have kind of uh, flirted with the idea of an on-site uh, psychiatrist. Um, so if, you know, the salespeople lose their mojo, they can go in and uh, talk to them and get it back. Wow, that sounds like a great pitch for salespeople. There you go, an hour with our psychotherapist. <laughs> okay, so I'm the only lady in the room, and today is uh, International Women's Day. Do you mm, want to uh, share something? <laughs> I don't know what to say. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I think... So yeah, so you're doing a great job, Radina, and hopefully you'll be, we'll see you again, and, and Joe will stay carry carry on eating chocolate out there. But um, we're going to have to wrap up now. How how can people contact you guys, James and Connor? Um, so you could email us at um, the sales at fliptish dot com. Uh, you can go to our website fliptish dot com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, fliptish. Just search for fliptish. Cool, cool. And Radina, how do people contact you? Absolutely. Where well, you can always find me on LinkedIn. My name is too unique, and you can't miss it out. <laughs> and of course, I'm Simon. Simon. Simon Haig at Simon at SimonHaig dot com. Are you busy this week, Radina, or what, what? What are you doing this week? I am looking forward to wrap up this week and just enjoy the weekend. Just chilling. <laughs> anyway, thanks very much, guys, and thanks, Radina. It was great. Thank you. And uh, and we'll we'll be back again next week. Thanks very okay. much. Thanks, thanks guys.